Section 3 of The Heirloom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christopher Collins. The Heirloom by T. Duthie Lyle. Memories Flown. Some six months from his father's death, the young Bertram Gnaut landed in England an impoverished, a despondent, if not quite an absolutely ruined man. The coloured boy Jules Massey is his sole companion and attendant, his sole surviving coloured dependent, and that out of pure affection for his master, an attendant at will out of hundreds of slaves. And then Bertram Gnaut, when he had cleared his luggage through the Liverpool Custom House, stood on English soil as much a stranger, as much a foreigner, as much an alien, as some three quarters of a century before his father Hubert Gnaut had stood virtually exiled on the soil of the great new country, which he had then adopted and made his home. As it had once been the father's, now it became the son's turn to seek a place whereon to rest his foot, and a shelter whereunder to lay his head. He cast about him for his future. Often had his father told him of Fernwood, their beautiful Anglo-Welsh home, the home of his race, where generations of their forefathers had lived and died. And naturally, as the two, the then mere boy Jules Massey and young Bertram Gnaut, roamed together the streets of Liverpool, the thoughts of the latter turned towards the place which occupies of all others in the heart of a colonist or emigrant so large a place, for whether he amass fortune and succeed, or whether as a crestfallen failure he returned to his native land, in either case he yearns for that speck of earth, whether castle or cottage, which he owns as home. Of the few, the very few kith or kin of his fathers who were in England or alive even, Bertram Gnaut knew naught, and they likely would know less of him. Who would know aught of the son of the spendthrift improvident heir of Vernwood, who left his country a good part of a century before, in debt and disgrace, and whose very memory none would be anxious to revive? Bertram Gnaut had not arrived in England utterly penniless. He had snatched up some little flotsam from the tide of affairs and wreckage caused by the great storm of war which had overswept the land. Having become wearied of Liverpool, the natural force of gravitation affected him, and attracted towards London, that mighty lodestone of the world, he found himself ere very long wandering about its endless labyrinth of streets, the young Jules Massey still by his side, but in even greater solitude and wonder at its very vastness, its complications, and its marvellous diversity of interest, than he had been in the great seaport of the north. Its magnitude filled him with astonishment and awe, but as his first impressions paled, he began more calmly to look about him and to think. He thought of and sought a certain firmer solicitors, with whom in brighter days his father had associated the name of Vernwood. After many and lengthy consultations of directories and law lists, and inquiries in likely quarters, Bertram one day found himself wandering curiously about certain streets in the vicinity of Lincoln's Inn Fields. An air of dry, uninteresting documents and forensic details seemed to the young Virginian to fill the very air, there was not the bustle and activity of the commercial life of the city, which seemed to be as a condition of another sphere. There reigned everywhere that air of sacredness and quietude, which seems ever to pervade the precincts of the abode of law. At length Bertram's careful study of repeated tiers and lists of names, inscribed in black letters upon the painted entrance halls of some substantially built old houses, revealed a name which seemed to rivet his attention, and arouse in him a degree of interest surpassing all the rest. Messrs. Wyndham and Lumley, solicitors. For some minutes Bertram stood gazing at the superscription, absorbed in thought. Then slowly, one by one, he mounted the broad, solid stone stairs and opened one of several doors upon which the words, Clerk's Office, had once been written clearly 
but now was dimmed and almost worn out with time. To the experienced mind, there is much to be learned or inferred from names on office doors, and, but that this is no place for digressive dissertations on common things, I might write an essay on their character, varieties and intent. It is enough, however, to relate here that the names on Messrs Wyndham and Lumley's door would have indicated to the experienced that the firm known as Messrs Wyndham and Lumley was a very old and reputable firm indeed. There was an air of substance and respectability about the clerks and employees, and even about the very oak panels and massive brass handles of their office doors, there was no denying that, and when Bertram Gnault ventured to enter, he was asked his business by a young man whose demeanour and bearing were such as to indicate that Messrs Wyndham and Lumley's usual visitors were gentlemen and not cads. His manner of address was something so utterly foreign to the too familiar, well, boss, was for you, of American civilization, of which Bertram knew as much as of English matters and mannerisms he had experienced little, that the young American smiled, and Messrs Wyndham and Lumley's clerk too, accustomed as he was to conceal his own mental impressions beneath that diplomatic veneer which we call politeness and good breeding, he too was a trifle puzzled at the American-looking young man, whose aspect was not quite that of, indeed, was something quite different from the sleek and respectable great British landed proprietor class, who were their ordinary clients, and from whose pockets and acres Messrs Wyndham and Lumley derived a large slice of the valuable conveyancing practice which they enjoyed. The clerk took all this in at a glance, however he was still more perplexed when Bertram asked for Mr Wyndham, the senior partner of the firm, as it then appeared written on the doors. "'Well, sir,' at last the clerk replied hesitantly, "'I... I can't say I've ever seen Mr Wyndham, but about twice, sir, or three times at most, and I've been here five years. I think I have heard that he retired from the firm almost forty years ago, sir, now.' The representative of Infant America opened his eyes very wide indeed. Forty years. A firm forty years old. It was about as old as the history of the United States, and Bertram received his first really practical lesson in English and old world history. Oh, would you like to see Mr Lumley, sir? politely asked the clerk. He is in. Well, yes, then, I guess I would, drawled Bertram, betraying an unmistakable Americanism of tone. "'What name shall I say, sir?' asked the clerk. "'Gnault, Mr Bertram Gnault.' The clerk disappeared, but without word or look of recognition, which could tell Bertram that his name or that of his family was ever mentioned in Messrs Wyndham and Lumley's office, either disparagingly or the reverse. Americans think much of history and tradition, and value above most things their associations, either historical or present, with the old world. Bertram had been told by his father that he had sprung from a good old English stock, but certainly there was no sign that his family traditions were cherished in Messrs Wyndham and Lumley's office, whether they were good or bad. The next minute Bertram was invited into the private office of the then head of the firm. Mr Lumley was a man well on in life. His face had the flabby paleness begot of an indoor, sedentary life. His hair was blanched to that hue of silvery or snowy whiteness which comes of years of continuous and heavy mental toil, and the weight of forensic details had left their impress upon every line. The lawyer was seated before a large office table piled with heaps of folded documents, bound and restrained with coils of red tape. On the entrance of the young American he looked up, but there was not that ready cordial recognition, the extending of the hand, which the important lawyer would have accorded to a client from whose operations in broad acres or city ground rents he was reaping a rich harvest of fees. Mr Lumley's experience was confined mostly to the precincts of Lincoln's Inn Fields, 
and the dry details of the law. He was in no way a cosmopolite. His longest vacation and farthest travels were three weeks spent at Brighton, at that time of year when his ordinary clients were potting grouse on Scotch moors. Consequently, he viewed the young American, or whatever he might be, with an eye of doubt not unmixed with suspicion. Certainly he hadn't the look of a man out of whom he could expect much. As for the name of Gnault, he knew nothing of that, or only thought he had some faint glimmering in his mind, and so there was no smile of welcome on the lawyer's face as he eyed the young man before him. However, common civility prompted him to point to Bertram Gnault a chair, which stood in such a position that the light from the window struck full into Bertram's face, while he left his own in semi-shade. Lawyers are apt to put their clients into so-placed chairs. But Bertram Gnault had nothing to conceal, therefore he had nothing to fear. Then the solicitor put down his pen, leant back in his chair, and waited for his visitor to begin. Bertram was no diplomatist, he had no idea of beating about the bush, so straight to the point he went. I guess I am rightful heir to a parcel of real estate in your country, at a place called Vernwood, somewhere near Wales County, I should imagine it would be, which has been handled by your firm. It belonged to my father before he left this country for America, and as he has been killed in the war, I am come to make my claim. At this succinct and important statement, the lawyer opened wide his eyes and ears. Well, yes, he replied in a dry judicial tone when Bertram had finished. Well, yes, even taking it for granted that what you say is true, sir, according to the law and practice of this country, you would have beyond question first to establish your identity, and then to substantiate your claim. You say your late father had business relations with our firm, but it was certainly not in my time. And Mr. Lumley eyed the young man closely, as if he almost doubted the truth of all he had said, and half believed his whole tale was a fabrication and, in short, a fraud. But I'll tell you what I will do. I will communicate with our late principal, Mr. Wyndham, on the subject, or I will give you his address and you can do so for yourself, or I will do both. You can make your own appointment, and I will write to Mr. Wyndham by tonight's post. He's an old man now, Mr. Gnott, past ninety, has been out of the law many years, but he is clear-headed, and perhaps his memory will carry him back to your father's time. A good day, Mr. Gnott. And this time the somewhat pompous lawyer extended his hand and smiled with some faint show of cordiality in his manner and tone. When Bertram Gnott stood on the pavement outside of Messrs. Wyndham and Lumley's office, he felt he had taken one step on the right road. Rosemead was the pleasant name of a pleasant villa not far from the now well-built-upon vicinity of Brixton Hill, where, surrounded by gardens devoted to the cultivation of roses of every known variety and hue, the old ex-lawyer Horace Wyndham was spending in retirement the closing years of his long and once busy legal life. It was well within a week of his visit to the office of Mr Lumley in Lincoln's Inn Fields that Bertram Gnott, by appointment, pushed open the gate and walked between veritable plantations of rose trees up to the front door of the substantial-looking villa of Rosemead. He rang, was admitted, and conducted by a manservant into the study or library of Mr Horace Wyndham. Although Mr Wyndham was within seven years of being a centenarian, the healthful recreations of his many declining years seemed almost like a continual infusion into his system of the rejuvenating essences of perennial youth. Perhaps it was that the retired gentleman had left behind him, or forgotten, the habitual caution and suspicious-mindedness of the practising lawyer in his office in Lincoln's Inn Fields. Perhaps it was that the peaceful cultivation of rose trees rendered it unnecessary that the acuter side of his understanding should be kept alert. At any rate, 
the welcome which Bertram Ganold met with as the old man walked, hale, erect and smiling, into his study to welcome his American visitor, was quite another thing from the somewhat cold and almost repellent reception which he received at the hands of the unimpressionable and almost unpleasantly shrewd attorney at his business office in town. Uh, yes, Mr. Ganolt, uh, I received your letter, said the cheery old man in answer to Bertram's inquiry. Take a seat, uh, Mr. Ganolt. Uh, can I offer you a... Well, I am a total abstainer myself, Mr. Ganolt, and never smoke. But will you have a cigar and, uh, well, anything else you'd like to name? With the Americanized custom of mixing tobacco with business, Bertram Ganolt took a Havana from the proffered box and bit off the end. Well, Mr. Ganolt, began the old solicitor as the fragrant fumes rose up between them. Yes, I remember both your father and your grandfather. Well, I remember your father coming up to town from Vernwood with his father when your father was just a mere stripling. A mere chick of a boy, and I was a clerk in our office. So he's dead, is he? Fell in the war, eh? Dear me, dear me. <laughs> Unhappy state of affairs when he left here, Mr. Gnot, very, said the old lawyer, his voice lapsing into a tone of sadness. Gambling. Sad thing that Mr. Gnot downfall of many a good name. However, Mr. Bertram, I think that's your name. That's neither here nor there now. Let bygones be bygones, that's my motto. What you want is to establish your claim to the Vernwood Estates. A fine property too, Mr Bertram, worth a fight for. And if you are the grandson of our old friend Lawrence Gnolt, and the only son of Hubert Gnolt, you ought to have it, that's sure. Well, Mr Gnolt, as to the Vernwood property, about which you are seeking information, without going into details, I can tell you this much. The property, many years ago, fell into the hands of a gang of money-lending harpies, and in their possession, or in the possession of their heirs, exors, admirals, and assigns, as we lawyers say, as far as I know it remains to this very day. The last I knew or heard of the place was that it was let to a Captain Gillingham for a term, and that was many years ago now. See, he resided in the mansion, but there is something about it which I could tell you, which would be to your advantage, but as a matter of business you will have first to prove your descent from Lawrence and Hubert Gnolt, both deceased. Mind you, I am not insinuating that any shadow of doubt exists as your entity, none whatsoever. I know that Hubert Gnolt left this country for America many, many years ago, but of course, Mr Gnolt, the law would require a proof. That is all I can tell you now, Mr Bertram. It is, in effect, all that the best lawyer in England could tell you. It is for you to supply that proof, and then we will see what's further to be done. And now, Mr. Bertram, you will stay and dine with me, but first let's take a turn in the gardens, and I will show you my roses. End of section 3